This year, love looks a little different. We're still gathering, we're just doing it virtually. And we're still connecting, we're just doing it safely. So whether it's lighting candles over FaceTime, family dinner through Zoom, or opening gifts virtually, traditions can keep us close, even when we can't be together. Stay safe, stay connected, think big, and plan small this holiday season. Let's save lives, Columbus. This year, love looks a little different. We're still gathering, we're just doing it virtually. And we're still connecting, we're just doing it safely. So whether it's lighting candles over FaceTime, family dinner through Zoom, or opening gifts virtually, traditions can keep us close, even when we can't be together. Stay safe, stay connected, think big, and plan small this holiday season. Let's save lives, Columbus. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Law Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Grand. On today's episode, we have a very special guest who I'll let do the honors of introducing herself. Hi, I'm Brittany. Many people know me as Bossy Britt on Twitter. I own Rebrand Career Consulting. We're a premium professional development firm specializing in supporting Black women. Amazing. Amazing. Um, first things first, uh, I want to you know, just give you some love for creating a space that really supports black women um, because, you know, looking at today's, you know, the world we're in today and hearing a lot of these stories of things that go, um, that's pretty much against women, you know, you know, specifically black women. Um, I hear a lot of stories about in the workplace, a lot of stories um, just in the world itself. So being able to be someone who targets, you know, and I don't even want to say target because it seems like you're trying to profit off it, but more so just, creating a space where you support women. And I really want to say that I love that. I love that about what you're doing. I love that about your business. So I just want to give you a shout out for doing that. Thank you. So um, before I, you know, get into your business and, you know, your future with your business, I always try to take it back to the beginning. Um, and, you know, just pretty much get a little bit of the backstory about you so the listeners can know who you are. So did you, you know, go to college? I did. So I am from Philadelphia. I attended Temple University where I got my degree in sociology. My research was focused on breastfeeding disparities amongst low-income populations in North Philadelphia. Um, So after that, I moved on to law school at Villanova. I really wanted to focus on policy that most negatively impacts Black and Brown people across the world, or really across the United States. Um, So after doing that for about a year, 
like a year and a semester, I went through a divorce. And so during the divorce, I just was like, I can't go to law school. I'm just super distracted. So I asked my intern location if there was an opportunity for a full-time position doing the work that I was doing, which was legal analyst work. And they offered me a position. It was a really great company. They were really focused on professional development. So while there, I was really able to shadow some other departments that I was interested in. And um, I went over to HR and I just really loved it. I really loved the project management over there. I really loved recruiting, really loved retention, um, professional development. And so in order to stay in my role, I needed a master's. So my company sent me to St. Joe's for my master's in organization development and restructure. So um, from there, I was managing programs that were focused on diversity and inclusion in the way that we recruited. And um, did that for about like a year and then got the opportunity to move over to manage $12 million in workforce funding for the city of Philadelphia. And after doing that for about six months, I got another call that there was an opportunity to oversee policy practice and customs focused on marginalized populations for the city of Philadelphia's police department. So that was my last position. Wow. That's, um, first of all, that's an amazing story. Um, so, I mean, your, your thesis was very, very interesting to me. Um, like, how did, how did you, what made you think about going with that thesis? When I was a junior in college, I got pregnant with my first son. And I remember going to the hospital for, like, my prenatal care and going to start my Lamaze classes, like, my birthing classes my and they ended up being birthing and breastfeeding classes I had no idea about breastfeeding like I don't know maybe just nobody in my family did it I don't know how I just like totally missed breastfeeding after 20 years of life but what I recognized is that that was very common for other black women that like we didn't have the support we didn't have the resources we didn't know enough about breastfeeding so while I nursed my son I tried to educate other black women but what I recognize is that for some reason there was just an educational and an access barrier as it related to breastfeeding. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I would have never, I mean, obviously I'm not a woman, <laughs> but, you know, just still just coming to that um, conclusion, um, because I see a lot of stuff, like a lot of um, disparity, you know, let's just say um, when it comes to giving birth, you know, the disparity and, you know, amount of Black women who may, um, you know, face mortality delivering, Versus, you know, women of other races and stuff yeah. like that. So I feel like that kind of goes all together. And, and just seeing how much, um, how much, you know, Black women tend to struggle with in this, you know, society, you know. And there's things that, like, like I said, I didn't know about that. So I think it's more things that we just don't know about. Um, black women don't know about. Um, me as a Black man, I don't know about. And there's things that I would love to be more educated about. Um, so that's why I appreciate someone like you who says out loud, I am looking to help Black women. Um, I remember seeing something on Twitter where, you know, I believe it was the beginning of the pandemic and you um, created a situation where, you know, a lot of people put things together, provided um diapers for yeah. single mothers. Um, I think that was amazing. So just tell me how did that come about? I've been a single mother. So like I mentioned, um, when I was in law school, I started going through a divorce and my son was, my oldest son was like three, maybe like two and a half or three. And you can get all the public assistance in the world. Like you can get food stamps, you can get daycare assistance, but diapers and wipes is something that 
every parent just needs, but there really is no public assistance that says like, hey, we know you need diapers and wipes. The daycare needs diapers and wipes and you need diapers and wipes for home. You might need diapers and wipes for your car or your travel bag. Um, so I just decided through the pandemic that I still do have a nine to five and my nine to five, you know, is paid well and I have my own business. So I just decided to start taking my salary from my nine to five and really supporting single mothers who maybe had their hours cut or were laid off or weren't able to work as often. So I just put up there like, hey, any single mothers who need diapers and wipes, like please feel free to reach out to me. Um, And from there, a few other black women who own their own businesses or entrepreneurs in some space said like, hey, I got another four moms or hey, I got another three moms or Britt, just let me know what you need and I'll cash it to you. So we ended up helping um, a little over 30 women, even women who had twins, because I do have a significant amount of black women who follow me who also have multiples who needed multiple cases of diapers or wipes. We were also able to support them. I love that. Um, I love that so much. And, you know, because we just did something uh, together, you know, where we, you know, gifted, you know, some black people on the timeline with some money and stuff like that. Um, But, you know, that specific thing where you were doing for a specific group of people who sometimes, um, you know, may feel like they're left out. Um, I think that's very helpful, very honorable. makes me feel like I'm not doing enough. So I definitely want to, um, if we, you know, if that happens again, I definitely want to take part in it because um, I'm very vocal on my support um, for black women, you know, and I know that I have to listen. I have to listen. And someone like yourself, like I said, who's very in your face, listen, I don't care what you're talking about. I'm caring about black women. I think that is so powerful and so helpful. And, I don't think you probably understand how much it inspires other black women because I see you on the timeline, see you interacting and I see the way they love you is because they have, you know, in some instance, like not, it doesn't even mean someone they look up to, but just feel a connection, with, you know, like a sister, things like that. Like they, they look to you, um, you're successful. And like another thing I want to piggyback off is you work in a nine to five, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so you are showing them that, listen, I am this, you know, boss, this entrepreneur, um, you know, I have my own business, but I'm also a nine to five. So you're giving them hope. You, you know, you have, you know, three kids, correct? Three kids. Three kids. You want a set of twins. So that in its own self, you know, creates another um, thing that you have to, you know, that's a part of your life that they may resonate with and say, like, how does she does it? Do it, you know, and you are able to do it, flourish with it, you know, be very vocal about it and things like that. So I see you inspiring people. So, you know, just to go back to the nine to five part is, what do you say about, you know, it's a lot of people make comments about working nine to five. You know, it's always just nine to five versus being an entrepreneur, nine to five versus being a business owner, you know, working for somebody else versus working for yourself. Like as somebody who has a nine to five, but also has a business, what, what do you have to say about that or say to the people who either are against nine to fives or support nine to fives? For starters, I am a person of like discipline, like discipline really matters to me. And when I say discipline, I mean, not in the sense of like getting in trouble or being reprimanded, but discipline in terms of entrepreneurship requires tons of discipline. Like if I took 
$5,000 out my business bank account right now and went to Louis Vuitton, like that's terrible discipline. But the reality is that like the discipline that I had in my entrepreneurship ventures comes from the fact that I've always had a nine to five. I've always been in, you know, graduate school. I started my doctorate in fall, but really like conforming to these rules and these other spaces and understanding the importance of rules, not only does it help me to have discipline in my, my entrepreneurship ventures, but it also makes me a great boss to work for because I know there's sort of boss that I don't want to be. I also can acknowledge that there are some great leaders that I've had in my professional trajectory um, that have just helped to pilot me forward. That's great. Yeah, and I, I agree, you know. Um, I see a lot of people, I see more and more people now saying, like, things of that nature, like, who work 9 to 5 but also have a business and how one helps the other, you know, one helps the other a lot. So as far as your 9 to 5, would you be able to share what kind of job you're currently working at? Absolutely. So by trade, I'm a writer, a technical writer. Um, that's always what I went to law school to do. Um, so right now, I, for the School District of Philadelphia, write policy that guides our charter schools for some of the diversity and inclusion initiatives. So could you give us an example of, you know, the diversity um, initiative that you, you know, work, have worked on or currently working on? Sure. So um, a big example that tons might be able to resonate with is essentially like educational equity, right? Like Philadelphia is technically the largest poor city in the nation. However, um, our schools closed down the same way every school across, across the country did in March. That required us to not only issue laptops, but also make sure that there was internet at home, but understanding that like every child isn't going to have access to a laptop, every child isn't going to have privacy to have a web class, understanding that every child doesn't have the same internet capabilities, really working with some external partners like Comcast and shop rights, libraries, et cetera, community centers, et cetera, to really start to develop out a plan for what does it look like to have educational equity for the child that may be in a homeless shelter in North Philly um, so that they have the same access that a child who maybe lives in a two-parent home with parents who can afford to be home and teach them work all day in a area such as Mount Airy or Chestnut Hill. Um, so that's essentially what educational equity looks like. That's the work that I do. Um, and really just like, contacting stakeholders, contacting families, collaborating with schools, giving schools guidance on best language to use to encourage students to get on the laptops, but also understanding that there may be barriers for why students aren't getting on laptops. So basically a whole lot of very important shit. <laughs> okay, was what I hear, which I think is a phenomenal job. Um, so now we're going to get into what has made you bossy grip. Okay, so can you kind of expand on what your business is? You know, tell us what Rebrand is. Rebrand is popping for starters. Uh, Rebrand is a premium professional development firm. What that means is we write resumes, cover letters, professional statements for individuals seeking graduate school admission, in addition to mock interviews, career counseling, uh, career map development, a host of supportive services specific to professional development for um, while my target audience and my primary demographic is black women, we do service other women in addition to some males. Oh, some males. So just, just a little bit of males. It's a sprinkle of them. Okay. So, um, so I know, you know, you, 
name the different kind of people to help. So, for instance, let's say I come to you. Um, let's say, for instance, I let me think. I'm sorry. Um, I don't have much work history. Okay, um, uh, I have a GED, and currently I'm working. You know, as a janitor for um, an establishment. Now, if I come to you, you know, how do you kind of help me, you know, become a, not a better employee, but how, how do you actually help me with a resume? Because I don't have, I don't have much work history. Sure. So for clients who come to me with limited work history and or education, I usually work with them on a longer term basis. So those are my clients who may become three to six month clients where we develop out a career map. That person might say like, hey, I'm a janitor right now, but eventually I want to work in an office building of some sort. I don't yet have the education. I don't yet know what I want to do. So we might say like, okay, let's go on and let's do a three to six month contract where I'll provide you professional development um, counseling, a mock interview, in addition to sourcing some jobs, rewriting your resume, your cover letter, and your LinkedIn, and then possibly working with that individual and getting enrolled in a community college in their area or a local university where they can start a four-year program that really touches on some administrative skills that they might need. Mm, okay. So that's for someone who doesn't have much work history. Sure. What about someone who has a lot of work history? You know, are you just, are you revamping their resume and making it look nice so you can say hey you know now you got a great resume to go apply for this top level position or is it more to it than that even if you have that much a lot of work history so it's like and or so it's like both so i have some clients who they just have a executive level position and they don't have any time to touch their resume because they haven't updated it in the last five years, right? Like I've had an executive who basically said like, hey, my company is about to go under. Nobody knows. I'm going to need a new resume. I haven't had to do one in 12 years. Can you just get this up to par for standards right now? Because I got to dip out. Um, I've had exec, I've had assistants contact me and say like, hey, my boss wants to apply for a new job, but he doesn't have any time to do a resume. I don't know how to do one. Can you do this for my boss? And I'll give you, you know, I'll pay you for it. Um, and then I've had people who were just at their middle management space and were looking to become executive or they were entry level and wanted to move towards more managerial space. Um, I meet clients kind of like wherever they are. And because of my experience and my trajectory in professional development, I kind of can get a vibe of, okay, this is what your next step would be, or this is what your next options might be. Okay. Okay. All right. So now work development, what does that entail? A lot of people sometimes just have a skills gap. So like, hey, I could do this if given the opportunity, but they can't showcase that. So sometimes that looks like taking a course, me recommending like, hey, I've sourced a few courses to fill in the skills gap that you might have, or I've sourced some organizations in your area for you to volunteer at volunteer at these areas, at these organizations, because this might be a great way for you to build your professional network, or I've sourced this professional development group based on your industry. Like there's Nesby, which is like uh, engineers, like white engineers. There is MBA, Black women with MBA in Philadelphia. So generally I source that information for my clients and then I'll send it over to them and say like, hey, here's a great opportunity for you to get involved with a network and possibly land a new position. Now you just said a whole lot of great stuff. Um, 
wow, wow. Like, um, I'm a business owner, and, you know, but you make me want to, you know, put in a resume. <laughs> Um, you know, because I can see how helpful it would be for a lot of people, you know, specifically those who don't have a lot of work history or they don't, they never had a resume or, you know, they're trying to get into a different field, but they may feel they're scared to do so because it's like, I don't have the skills or I don't have the resume or who's really going to hire me. Like I, I envision individuals from, you know, let's say our community who may come who may have had trouble in the past with the law and now they have a stain on their record. And I see a lot of them not really want to apply for things, not because they don't want to work, you know, they don't want to do better, but because they're scared that they're going to go in and, you know, they don't have anything. So I think having a business like yours, which I've never even thought about is such an amazing thing, you know? So I, I really pray and hope that your, your business continues to grow and then flourish more because I think we need your kind of business out here. And I love the fact, like I said, that, you know, it's, it's really geared towards helping black women because another, you know, I think about them as far as, you know, some of these, you know, single mothers or um, women who may have had life kind of, you know, change the course of, you know, what they wanted to do. So I know that confidence is one thing that really has stopped people from, you know, wanting to go forward. You know, I've seen that myself. So I think rebrand is amazing. Um, how did you even think about creating that? You know, like when I when I think about like, man, resume writing, like, wow. Like, where did that come from? So even though I left law school, I still stayed in touch with my girlfriends who I was in law school with. And basically when they started preparing to take the bar, I was in HR at a commercial firm. And so it was more like, hey, I need to focus on the bar. Can you look at my resume for me? Can you get my resume together? Because I'm looking for a clerkship or whatever that looks like. Um, I started with doing their resumes and then they would refer me to other friends. And then once I started to oversee workforce development for the city of Philadelphia, I got hooked up with just like tons of other agencies who would say like, hey, we have... $25,000 of workforce development funding that we can give someone to come in and do professional development in our program, but we can't identify a vendor. So that's what kind of like first put it in my head that I was overseeing this money, but I also recognized that there was like a gap in the amount of vendors that these organizations that were getting the money could contract with because nobody was really putting themselves out there as like, hey, I can write resumes. Hey, I can do mock interviews. Hey, I can do cover letters. Um, But the problem was I could not oversee funding and also be paid through that same funding stream. So I left the job and that's when I started to oversee compliance and policy for our police department. And that's when I started to kind of like build the relationships and layers and portfolio to start doing resume writing on a larger scale with Rebrand. Wow. So wait, so you you mentioned the police department. Yeah. And you, you did exactly what? Oversaw compliance. Oversaw compliance. So just to give the listeners a little insight on what, what that looks like. Um, yeah. What what does that look like? (laughs) Um, so it looks for the city of Philadelphia. It's we have about 4,000 officers. Um, so my job was to essentially any complaint that came in about them to evaluate that complaint, um, from end to end, including if someone says I got a traffic stop, like I was stopped. And the officer said he stopped me because my windows were tinted. 
Um, and then once he got to my car, he found drugs in the back of my car, right? So like for me, what I would have to do is take a step back and say like, okay, so let's look at the origin of the stop. The origin of the stop was tenant windows. I get it. Tenant windows are against the law. However, that law is for the protection of the officer. So did you put yourself in harm's way by pulling over someone with tenant windows and then walk through the traffic stop from that space of saying like, okay, well, if the windows were tinted, how did you see drugs in the car? So walking through every police report where there were like questionable things that happened and then like essentially writing a report or analysis that said like, hey, this is why I find this stop problematic. This is what we can do moving forward. This is my recommended course of discipline for this particular officer. Um, most of the work that I did was primarily focused on things that negatively impacted marginalized communities. So that's your traffic stops for tenant windows, that's your low level marijuana crimes, your stop and frisk, um, even use of force. So doing some evaluations of use of force for officers. Um, did they announce themselves? Did they use a taser first? Did they try pepper spray? Did they render immediate aid once they shot someone? So like evaluating all of those and then also making a recommendation for officer discipline. Wow. Wow, see now that has me really like thinking, you know, like, um, you know, I don't want to get too into, you know, you know, that career. I just, I guess, you know, with everything going on in the world, I just, just curious about, um, you know, did you find a lot of instances where, these, mar you know, marginalized people were, you know, more or less targeted? Um, okay, so I always like to answer that question with the caveat of I am a sociologist, so I'm very comfortable with large data sets. Philadelphia is a very unique city in that the minority population, I'm sorry, the minority demographic is the majority population. So Black people make up the majority of residents of Philadelphia. So statistically, we would be pulled over more often. So I had to, of course, like lay out that caveat first, but also acknowledge that um, the data that I look at looks at like how often are these tickets thrown out? How often do people sit in jail because we have a cash bail system for really low level crimes um, resulting in them losing their job? So I really looked at like the downstream consequences of people's first interaction with police and how that interaction is completely different than for white people. So yes, a white person might also get pulled over for the exact same thing, but a white person might have access to cash, which allows them to come out of jail instead of sitting for 30 days for some mindless or some low-level offense that someone who just doesn't have the money, they could lose their job, they could lose custody of their children, they could lose their housing, just all these other things that might happen over a $500 bill that they just couldn't afford to pay. Wow. Wow. That, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I love the way you approach that, like you said, is looking at it from you know, not just an emotional standpoint, but, you know, statistical, logical, and also not just looking at the numbers. You kind of go into why do these numbers say what they say? Yeah. And I think that's very, that's, that's very great. Um, that's, you know, that's a testament to say, how your mind works, <laughs> you know? So um, I want to go back to Rebrand. When did you launch that? Rebrand was launched in January of 2019. So, so you've been what a year and a half? A year and a year and a half. Wow. Um, so you launched it in January 2019. How long did it take for you to get your first client? 
Okay, so I had clients already. Like I mentioned, I had clients. My girlfriends from law school referred me to other people as they would get jobs. They would refer me out. So I had like clients I knew. I didn't start getting like stranger clients like, hey, I saw you on Twitter. Or like, hey, I found you on Facebook from an ad. And so I say maybe like March or April of 2019. I feel like it was right around like Easter when like strangers who I had never heard of, no connection to, no relationship to, started to actually book me for services. Um and even then, it still I still felt, like, overwhelmed with the process because I'm like, dang, this is a stranger. Like, they might not give me no grace if I'm late or I'm wrong. <laughs> I really got to go above and beyond now. Wow. So um, how many clients do you currently have? Or how many clients have you serviced from your first stranger client to now? Um, I would say we have served. So, okay, things have, since I started keeping track, because at this point, every client that we surfaced, that we service has to complete a questionnaire, an introductory questionnaire. So to date, we have had about 425 questionnaires completed. That does not include clients who are just consultation clients. So we've had about 425 clients who needed documents written since, I'd say I started the questionnaire last summer. So August to now, almost a year, we've serviced over 400 clients. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's that's amazing, knowing that you've been able to help at least 400 and something people. That's, that's amazing. Um, I mean, how does it feel? It feels amazing. It feels amazing because I know what it's like to be a single mom. I know what it's like to feel like this ain't it. I can do better than this and just kind of really be feel stuck. Um, so those are really exciting times for me when I get a review back from a client like oh I'm finally out the call center or oh I finally got into school or you know whatever that looks like I just enjoy the fact that I am able to support black women who look like me that's amazing and like I said I just applaud you for that uh, I'm just very um impressed by everything that you're doing um you know just a bachelor as far as you know which you got your bachelor's in and then going to get your master's. Um, you was attending law school, but you find out that maybe that's not the best thing for you to do. Um, you create a business, you work, you know, for the police department, um, you write policies and procedures. And then now you're currently getting your PhD. It's an ed day, so a doctorate in education. A doctorate in education. Like, and you're a single mom while doing all of this. Most of the time. I mean, I know you're not a single mom now, right? But, you know, you were when you was like, hey, I'm going to just better my life, you know? So um, that's just amazing. That's just amazing. And not only are you doing it yourself, but you want to bring along other women. So that's that's very, you know, noble of you. And I love to see it. Um, So back to rebrand, you know? Um, Who, I guess I want to ask this question correctly. What are the most type of clients that you get with your business? I don't have a specific industry as it relates to like particularly most, but I do keep data because I love data. Um, I would say about 
70% of my clients come to me with at least a bachelor's. Um, there is about 12% who are doctorate level education and beyond. And then there's a decent amount who have at least some level of graduate education. We do service individuals who have a high school diploma and or GED as well as associate's level degree. But I can say that the majority of our clients come to us um, with some level of higher education under their belt, able to progress forward. The majority are Black women. Um, 87% do identify me from Twitter. And then there's about 10% that are like referred from a friend or family member. Wow. <laughs> that is that is amazing. Um, you know, I, I have my vending business and I help a whole lot of people. Um, all I can say is I help a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I am not, you know, able to say like, you know, I got 70% of this and stuff like that. I just know that, man, I've been helping people, you know? So um, I love that because you've helped me, you know, you've been able to help me since knowing you better my business, you know, um, just, you know, giving me advice or tips here and there. So I can, so having this opportunity to talk to you about this, I can honestly see how that comes about. You know, you're very, um, precise and and very thoughtful, very thoughtful with everything that you say. Very thoughtful when, I mean, wow! I just, I just, I just, I really, I, I just love it. Like it's, it's so amazing. So, um, one thing I want to ask you is, how important is networking for you? For me, as an individual, like as a business owner. Yeah, just yeah, like whether it's, you know rebrand or whether it's just you and Brittany, like how important is network? How, well, how have you, how has the impact of networking, you know, how has, how has it impacted your business? I don't want to be shady. <laughs> um, networking is really important, but I'm not a person who needs to be in every room. And I tell my clients the same thing. Like you got these boss girl events, you got these boss babe, boss bitch, like whatever people like categorize themselves at, as, um, and then you get this influx of people who want to be in a room and like that's their form of networking. I don't want to be in those rooms. There's some great people in those rooms, but I really prefer to network with individuals who I can learn from, who I can teach something to, and who can hold me accountable. So when I network, I'm usually networking upward. Um, and then I don't mind bringing someone along, but I'm usually really transparent that like, girl, I don't know, like I'm here to learn also. Um, I know like there's the Black Sea Summit in Texas and I was just really honest, like I don't even know what I don't know, but I know that there's something that I can learn. And so I generally try to move with that element when I do any sort of networking and I tell others to say the same, like don't worry about where the popular people are. Don't worry about where everybody is going or what sounds cute. Like recognize that there's something that you want to learn or there's a gap in your skill set or there's a gap in your achievements and Peep the people who are a doing it, but also peep the people who are willing to teach it to other people and not just talk about like, oh, I made my first million, I drive a Benz. Okay, but like how? And if it's not a, if it's, if it's empowerment and it's not going to tell you how to do it, um, those are the networking events that I generally stay away from and encourage my clients to stay away from. I agree. I, I agree a lot, um, specifically about what you said about, you know, people wanting to just be in the room, but not really able to be in the room and take from them. You know, just I'm in here, I'm with these cool people, but not really be able to really learn, you know? So I'm going to attend that same summit um, in August. And that's one thing that I'm looking forward to is learning these things, you know, because 
I know I don't know, you know. Um, I've always been transparent about knowing some things and um, and transparent about the things that I do know, trying to give, you know, back and provide the information and stuff like that. Um, So I definitely see how important it is to learn versus just being alone. Um, So another thing that I want to ask you is, I'm sorry, let me just take some drink real quick. All right. Another thing that I wanted to ask you is, how hard is it to have a business that people know that you run on social media? You know, so being visible to people and, you know, because from my experience, you know, every once in a while I may get someone who may say something, you know, rude to me on Twitter and include my business. Like just because you run this does not mean this. You know, like how, you know, has that been things you've experienced? And if so, how do you maneuver around that? Oh, gosh. Okay, so I'm going to, there's no wood, but I'm going to knock on wood that this doesn't happen to me again. It's only happened to me once. Um, I operate two pages. I operate Rebrand CC, which is my business Twitter, and then I am Bossy Brit. Like, let's, let's take a minute and let's talk about the first part of my name, Bossy Brit. Like, I am bossy. I do what I want. I'm an only child, and I have put myself in a position to move the way that I move. Um, I've only had one instance where someone slid in my DMs, and for me, it was a boundary, like, hey, no, thank you. And that person chose to publish those DMs to people and say that I was nasty to them. And for me, all it did was boost my followers, brought traffic to my website. I had some new subscribers. I had some new orders. So I just took the good with the bad. Um, The reality is that people who do know me know that I have a heart, and I'm kind, and I do what I got to do, and I still maintain boundaries. You know how it is when you got these large followings. You do real big with, you know, hey, I don't really talk about my family in the DMs, or hey, I don't really, like, share that type of information, but people can be pushy. Um, And... I don't think it's a bad thing to establish a boundary. I have boundaries, but I also have kindness and I give and people who know me know that like I'm about people. I'm about putting money up if somebody has a need. Um, What I'm not about is my boundaries crossed and you can't call the the owner of Nordstrom and be like, hey, um, is your baby X, Y, and Z like, hello, who the hell is this? So I don't look at it any different. Uh, I do think there's like talks around and like, should you separate who you are as an individual or should you not be the face of your business? And I don't feel that way because I want black women to know that it's another black woman running a business who used to be broke, who used to be on public assistance, who grew up, you know, not in the best of circumstances. I run this sort of business. I wouldn't want there to be any sort of questions surrounding what I stood for because Rebrand is so vocal about black women. And we know that right now, this is a time where a lot of companies are starting to jump on the wave of saying they're for black people. I agree a hundred percent with that. Um, because I have family who, you know, who are saying like, Hey man, you probably shouldn't say this or, you know, let people know this, um, because of, you know, fear of people, you know, uh, maybe saying things or people trying to come at me in person. Like, and I feel like it's important for me to let those who look like me, whether they're older, younger, my age, to know that they can achieve these things. You know, I try to lay down the blueprint for everything that I've done. Um, I'm not, I'm not worried about somebody being able to um, copy my stuff. Like, no, I want them to do. It. I've always adopted the mindset that I want somebody to look at me and say, if he can do it, I can do it. I don't take that as disrespect. I don't take that as rude. So I, I definitely resonate with what you're saying as far as like wanting people to know that, hey, 
okay, I can, I can do this. And also, I can do this just being myself, you know? I think that some people feel like, because I know I struggled with in the beginning of having a bigger following. It's mm-hmm. just, what do I say? What do I not say? And then I just had to accept, like, I'm going to be who I am, because who I am is a great person. And there may be instances where people might not like what I say or they disagree with what I say, but, um, you know, they know I stand on my morals, I stand on my values, um, I have integrity, and, you know, I am my business, you know, like, you can't separate the two because my business isn't who I am, it's what I do, so I just, I'm the face of it, you know, you, you know, you kind of, you came here because of me, um, I think that's one thing that some people on social media who have success forget is that sometimes people buy into you or they don't, um, a lot of people try to copy that and they don't understand that people buy into you, they like, they like you. So um, I definitely think it's important to be able to show your personality, um, be able to have these conversations with people, but also establish those boundaries. Because like you said, I've had experiences where people just DM me and say, yo, yo, what's up, man? What you doing? <laughs> man, put, put, put me on. <laughs> if I don't respond within a time frame that they feel was suitable, they'll say, yo, you really going to act like that to another black man? <laughs> you laughing. But it happens all the time. And it's like, my man, like, you wouldn't do that to anyone, you know? So, um, you know, kind of approach me in a way because if I respond negatively, they're going to say, like, you're supposed to be professional, but they don't come to you in a professional way. It's like, you just Twitter. You also don't email my info at. This is not my, hello, I said before you DM me, like, Here's some context. Uh, I think that Twitter is a, a space where like people either love you or they hate you. And even the people who hate you are still want to follow you to find something to say about you. Um, so most people generally hate anytime I mention like having a supportive partner or having a partner who spoils me or having a partner who takes care of me. Like that is the most backlash that I get. And it's like, I get backlash from women, which is so surprising. Like, girl, I want you to be taken care of too. Like, why are you like this? That's... <laughs> That is so funny um, because uh, just to kind of piggyback off that, it's like when I talked about um, how I support the mother of my, you know, my son financially, I did have a lot of women, you know, say some things that was not negative. And that kind of took me back. Like, what? I'm here you know, for you. Like, I, I expected the guys, you know, to call me a simp. <laughs> But the, some of the women were the ones that kind of caught me off guard. And I'm not going to sit here and say that it was like majority, the, you know, women said no, because I had a lot of positive things. Um, and just that seeing the amount of women who were against it was kind of baffling um, because some of them were mothers. So you would, I've always grew up under the guise that um, if you're, you know, you're, the mother is fine, the child is fine, things yeah. like that. So, yeah, I definitely understand what you're saying about that because that is a little weird. Um, but that's just how things go, man. Um, so, you know, just to wrap up the interview, um, I want to ask you a couple of things before we go. Um, one, how important is it to really help the next boss of Britain? For me? Yeah. There's not going to be a next bossy Brit. <laughs> like, I'm bossy Brit. You can't be me. You could be, like, bomb Brianna or, like, bossy Brianna or Bianca or whoever, but, like, there could only be one bossy Brit. Well, yes, not 
names specifically, but, you know, just creating that, that, you know, that they're creating the next person who can, you know, be successful and, and, you know, look at your life and be able to say, hey, man, you know, I'm really inspired by this woman and I want to emulate some of these things to better my life, you know, like how important is it to give back to be able to help create? Because I've, I've always been under the mindset that if I do, if I help the next person, then they're going to help the next person and they're going to help. And that way we can create a community where we're all helping each other and building up our community, specifically the black community. Oh, okay. So in that case, yes, that's super important to me. I always hope, and I try to tweet about like kindness, just like working hard to be kind, even when it's not easy. Um, Because I think like niceness is one thing, but often like niceness is a form of like manipulation. But kindness really means that like in your heart and in your soul, like you're doing this because it's the right thing to do for humanity or it's the right thing to do to further another person along. So for me, when I am saying like, hey, I got money for, you know, black women who need diapers and wipes, it it is inspiring that people like yourself and Ari and um, Streetsy and Brit and like other black women like step up and say like, all right, I got some more money. Like who else needs diapers and wipes? That is my goal. Not that like, I never want people to want to be me because what I always think about is like to be me means that like you got to go through the things that I went through and I would never want anybody to go through some of just like the trash experiences that I've had. So I want people to see the kindness and see the philanthropy and the, the intellect and the passion for black and brown children and black and brown women and black and brown men. I want that stuff to be emulated, but I see that as being done just by leading by example. And if I say I got, you know, 400 for diapers and wipes. I'm sure somebody like yourself got 800 for diapers and wipes. So I know that I just surround myself with people who try to make sure that they outdo me to service our community. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's uh, uh, 800 in Jamaican dollars. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, nah, I'm just serious. No, nah, I'm just playing. <laughs> no, so, uh, so my last question to you is what well, I mean, we're in a in a freaking pandemic. I mean, it, things seem to get worse by the time. But what is the future of rebrand? Well, the pandemic has not bothered rebrand. I just want to say rebrand crossed into six figures. So, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, talk to so, so pandemic has not impacted rebrand because pandemic has not impacted the workforce. If anything, our clients who were laid off, they received um, discounted services so that we could flip their resume around really quickly and get them right back into the workforce. We have supported clients in onboarding from home, including saying like, Hey, is it a lack of resource? Is it a lack of, you know, not having the appropriate computer, the appropriate internet access? Whatever that looks like, we've continued to support clients. So COVID has not impacted rebrand. Um, but furthermore, it has made us recognize that we have been able to implement some new opportunities. So just did my first Ask Me Anything Zoom because I recognize that the pandemic is causing some people to not maybe want to, you know, maybe don't have the funds for a full out consultation, but also maybe just don't have the time with their kids home to do a one to one consultation with me. Um, so by being able to host that and then record it, people just have a different opportunity to get some information. Well, first of all, you are lucky. Uh, <laughs> they still buying snacks. They still buying m <laughs> Yes, yes. I am still helping people not stick to a diet in a pandemic. <laughs> no, but that is amazing. And congratulations to Rebrand for being able to hit that milestone. Um, I see 
it growing more and more um, because I see more and more people just loving what you're doing and, you know, the support that you get. Um, again, I never want to miss an opportunity to um, give someone their flowers, you know, while they're around and while they're doing the things that they're doing. So I just want to say congratulations to you, your company. Um, I wish you guys nothing but the best. And before we go, just let them know where they can find you. Sure. You are welcome to follow me on Twitter. I am bossy Brit. Oh, sorry, bossy underscore Brit on Twitter. I am also on Twitter with my business account, Rebrand CC. And if you are interested in a new resume, cover letter, or just learning more about the work that we do, including donating 10% of all service costs to survivors of domestic violence, professional development support, visit www.rebrandcc.com. All right, you heard it here first. Rebrand is taking off. Who are you texting? My therapist. You text with your therapist? Text, video chat, call? Yep, that sounds too easy. How did you find her? I just went to betterhelp.com slash save. She's a licensed therapist and it's all online. I connect when it's convenient for me and don't waste time driving anywhere. Plus it's affordable. I wonder if I should try it. It's great to talk to someone in confidence. She's helped me sort out quite a few things. And right now you save 10% off the first month when you go through betterhelp.com slash save. Betterhelp.com slash save. Got it. This year, love looks a little different. We're still gathering. We're just doing it virtually. And we're still connecting. We're just doing it safely. So whether it's lighting candles over FaceTime, family dinner through Zoom, or opening gifts virtually, traditions can keep us close, even when we can't be together. Stay safe. Stay connected. Think big and plan small this holiday season. Let's save lives, Columbus.